Thank you all very much for coming and I have the utmost pleasure to welcome today uh, our uh, guest speakers from the Queen Mary University from the Law School, uh, um, Prakash Shah who is the director of the Centre for Culture, law, uh, Culture and Law at Queen Mary and he specialises in questions of legal pluralism, religion and law, ethnic minorities and diasporas and with particular reference to South Asia and he of published uh, extensively on this. He's an author, sole author of two books and editor of five others and uh, some of the titles include uh, Legal Practice, Cultural Diversity, Law and Ethnic Plurality, Social Legal Perspective, Migration, Diasporas and Legal Systems in Europe with uh, co-authored with Werner Mensky. And, uh, uh, the other guest which I also have the utmost pleasure to present is Deria Bayer, who works as a researcher in the um, Center for Culture and Law at Queen Mary University and she's the author of the recently published book on minorities and nationalism in Turkish law and her interests include international human rights and minority rights, law and religion and the Turkish legal system and the Ottoman pluralism. So without further ado, I will give them the floor. Thank you. Uh, uh, thank you very much, Anieszka. Uh, hello, hello to everybody. Um, thanks also for that uh, very nice introduction and now I, uh, I'll have to live up to all the expectations that you've raised. Uh, thank you. Um, but yeah, um, maybe it's appropriate if I start the the talk by saying um, how we how we be, uh, embarked upon uh, this this project and uh, the the, the title of today's presentation and the article which is now uh, published as a result of the project we did in under the same title in a journal called Transcultural Studies. It's, it's an online journal uh, published in uh, Heidelberg University. Uh, so you, you can actually get the full version, if you like, uh, on the uh, on the internet. It's it's open access. Um, but how did how did we come to uh, decide that we wanted to um, do a study on on this particular topic? Well, I, I think something <laughs> sometime around September 2007. Uh, we were actually on holiday in Western Turkey, in the in the province of Mula. Actually, I'll just fast forward a slide so you can see. This is the region of Mula. And uh, we were in this um, little place uh, called Ortege. Uh, yes, in uh, what is it? Uh, Ortege is, Orteja? is the middle of the town, and Dalian is the village. Yeah. In, uh, in that town. So we happen to be in Dalian, which is sort of somewhere here, right? Yes. And um, it's in a very nice um, location. There's an estuary, um, so it's a kind of river valley that slowly meanders into the into the Aegean. Um, uh, uh, so, yeah, so uh, we thought, oh, it's really nice. And uh, not only that, we also realized that there was a huge concentration of British people there. Right? And it's, it's actually, you don't have to spend more than a couple of days there to realize that there are so many Brits around. Um, and then, of course, after a while, you begin to realize that it's not just tourists, right? It's people who've decided to settle in that area and own properties and so on, and actually spend most of their year in, in that place. 
Um, and then we thought, well, it, you know, why do we study this? You know, because obviously I was coming from a kind of migration perspective, migration law and so on. And Daria being the uh, t uh, Istanbul, Istanbul qualified <laughs> lawyer that she is, uh, I thought, well, Daria, you know, why don't we do, do this kind of thing together? So it took us a while to gather, gather the funding. We got a small grant from Nuffield. And next thing you, next thing you know, in, in uh, 2010, in the summer of 2010, we finally got the opportunity to actually do a field research um, involving something like 60 odd interviews with uh, local people, with the British uh, British people who were settled there, a few uh, Dutch people. Um, and when I say local people, actually, it wasn't just local locals, because most of the people who were involved in the tourism stroke uh, settler economy are uh, coming from all different parts of Turkey themselves, right? So you've got Kurdish people from uh, Eastern Turkey, you've got uh, people from Northern Turkey, you've got people from Central Anatolia, all kinds of people. And it was interesting, actually. And, and so one of the things we're saying is that this is a kind of super diverse region, uh, following Stephen Vertovec's famous, uh, famous phrase, um, of Turkey. And actually is, is exemplifies what's increasingly happening up and down the coastline, uh, right down to Antalya and so on. Uh, in Turkey, where you find the settlement of lots of different types of uh, nationality, uh, nationalities. And in Antalya, sorry, uh, in Antalya, which is in more south, uh, there are German villages, which are not really known to outsiders. There are German villages, and these villages, uh, most of the time, uh, they are not um, uh, accessible to outsiders. And they have their own, uh, I don't know, bakeries, uh, their own journals. They, they all, I mean, everything. Like they had, they they created this full economy in these little uh, places, villages. Let's call. And even we heard from somebody that one of them, uh, he, uh, one of the German, he won. He tried to run for uh, uh, local uh, mayor, mayor yeah, position. It's like they're that established. Mm -hmm. They're there with their families. They're there with like everything. You know? yeah. So uh, actually, our project represents a very small part of the patchwork of different nationalities, Europe and EU citizens, many of them, not to mention Russians and so on, uh, who've been settling along this coastline. Uh, and th there's potential for a lot more work to be done, I think, very interesting comparative work to be done here, uh, which we, we weren't able to do because we only had the benefit of a small grant. Uh, but as Daria says, I mean, it's, it's got to the level where you, you're talking about, for some groups, serious levels of civic integration, if, if that's the right, right phrase to use, um, and embeddedness in, 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 in this, in this uh, part of Turkey. So d definitely lots of things to, to, to research and study here. Um, Maybe there you are. I'll let you talk about this part. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, when we were writing, actually, we came across with this problem, like difficulties of defining these people, because they're not really so happy to, to be called as immigrants. <laughs> uh, but from my point of view, actually, once we finished that project, we realized that they are immigrants. Although they refuse it, they are immigrants, because I mean, I think immigration is more related to uh, the the people coming to Europe for like economical reasons. I don't know, or the political reasons, let's say. But they're not so happy to be called, and I think it's it has some negative connotation in their minds still, perhaps there because of their experience in in uh, back in in the UK. Anyway. Um, some of the, I mean, very little, I think only a few people, they call themselves as experts. 
Not yeah. many. But you do hear the word. You do quite, hear quite, the quite a lot. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, in the literature, as you may all know, these people are considered as like lifestyle immigration. You know, they just go there because of I don't know, they like the weather, they like the I don't know culture, or they just want to spend some time and. Yeah, but from our point of view, when we talk to people, actually, their main reason is that they are more, okay, most of them, they are uh, retired people, and the money, kind of money they have, or the kind of lifestyle they might expect in this country is actually quite low, it's like, you know, it's very bad, their expectation is like very low, and, and because of that, they think they might have better life back in Turkey because of the, you know, what they got will be more valuable. Um, and that's the, that's the main reason, actually, they, when they explain why they came to Turkey, that's the main reason. They say, oh, you know, we, first of all, we like the culture, blah, blah, the weather, this and that, but they, they have some economical reasons to be there, and which is similar to why a lot of like, young people, they want to come to Europe for, you know, having perhaps better life, in a sense, is quite similar. Mm. But that in the literature also, in the Turkish literature, I think uh, there's one study, these people are called as settled foreigners. I think this, this the writer of the, the study was uh, a Turkish, the Turkish center, mm. and it's perhaps it's like, it shows us the, the Turkish scholars view on this immigrant groups in, in Turkey, let's say. They are settled, okay, we accept them, but they are still foreigners, yeah, you know? They can't be part of the, like, uh, the bigger society in Turkey. Perhaps this is significant. Yeah. Um, actually, maybe we should also already mention um, this, you know, how, the, there is already mentioned some of the terminology that, that's kind of deployed, like mm -hmm. expats, foreigners, and so on. Um, coming from a more legal perspective, um, it's interesting that, um, you, you know, in the British discourse, you you won't you, you'll find immigration law maybe as one way of encapsulating the legal mm. status of people who are coming newly to a particular country. Um, in Turkey, uh, these these questions seem to be dealt with under the rubric of Foreign. foreigners' law. Foreigners. You know, so you find lots of textbooks which are addressing the position of immigrants, but under the rubric of foreigners' law. But it doesn't just talk about their residence status or their nationality status and so on. Um, they also tend to address questions of private international law, yes. which is like, well, you know, if these people to conduct their personal relations and so on, what sort of law would apply to them and so on. It, it covers lo lots of different yeah, areas yeah. which you don't find uh, yeah. British immigration lawyers would, would necessarily cover. They might have to deal with them, of course, incidentally, because of their legal practice and so on. But in terms of like an intellectual discipline, it's classified in quite a different, different way. And um, citizenship law. Yeah, and, and increasingly, yeah, citizenship law. Um, but not immigration. We don't have immigration law in Turkey. Maybe nowadays, like, things are changing, and I think there's now a new draft law, but um, historically, we don't have any discipline called immigration law or immigration, I don't know, studies, whatever. Yeah. Even how, uh, yeah. Which also tells us something very interesting about how lawmaking is done for foreigners and their immigration status in Turkey. Um, because the way in which, particularly in Western Europe, 
the legal status of foreigners has been politicized. Many of you know the story, it's a familiar one since the 1960s or in other Western European countries since the 1970s, right? Um, there's been a lot of battles over what kind of status immigrants should have and so on. In Turkey, the status, particularly of the EU migrants, is so silently handled. Right? There's never been a serious politicization of their presence in terms of what sort of status they should have. So I can actually just pack my bag, go to Turkey and get a residence permit of, of some type. Um, and I can, first I might, I, might, I might be a visitor, but I can fairly easily convert that into a residence permit. Right? Which to doesn't give you a lot. A yeah, but I, I can I can live there. Yeah, and okay. So maybe you should say what what it, what it doesn't give you yeah. <laughs> as well. I mean, it's okay, important. you can go and live there, and as long as you pay the you know like with, with uh, let's say haraj in, in Turkish, uh, what is it called? Fee. Poll tax. <laughs> it's not poll tax, but I'm um, just making a uh, joke. Um, yeah, as long as you give uh, I don't know almost thousand pounds per year, something like that. And you can leave there, but it doesn't give you this this permission, resident you know, permission doesn't give you right to work there, which is quite bad for these people. Because at the end of the day, most of these immigrants, uh, they are not, they, I mean, they're retired people, or they're even now, nowadays young people, they want to go back, you know, go to Turkey, and, and then they want to open their own businesses and then attract more tourists, perhaps, and I don't know. Uh, you know, they're thinking Turkey is a good market because the economy is doing quite well at the moment in Turkey. Uh, but they have extremely limited, uh, like the law doesn't allow them to actually obtain a right to work in Turkey mm -hmm. this, uh, under this status. And when they want to apply actually for the uh, walking per walk permit, uh, it's again extremely difficult because we have a law which was made in 1930s or 40s and which restricted a lot of areas, you know, sectors in Turkey only to Turkish citizen people. It's very difficult to get working work permits uh, in Turkey for foreigners, regardless of whether they are foreign, I mean, I don't know, from Europe or, or I mean, the, the, the people from eastern part of the world, they can't come to Turkey anyway, they can't be even you know, immigrate into Turkey. Only Westerners, only Europeans, <laughs> they can immigrate to Turkey. There's another law, like you know, says that. But uh, yeah, it's very difficult. And these people, a lot of people we talk to in Turkey, among these immigrant, uh, British immigrants, they were all saying that how difficult for them to find a job, or to even when they, you know, they can open a business, but they can't only be director there. They cannot work in their businesses. You know, it's it's very strange. You can own your business. Monopolized, yeah, in, in yeah, exactly. Business. It's very monopolized to Turkish citizens only, and then obtaining Turkish citizens for foreigners is very difficult. It's kind of nightmare. I mean, people think that the citizenship rules are very. I don't know. Obtaining a citizenship is obtaining a citizenship is very difficult here. If they go to Turkey, it's it's extremely difficult. Actually, um, on, the, on the point about residence permit, the, the other thing we found is that uh, British people have to pay far higher rates to get their residence permits like renewed and, and so on, uh, compared to European, Germans or yeah, Austrians or Dutch people and so on. Who, yeah, I, I think the, it's, it's only Brits who's, uh, who's the, the, the fees for whom 
reach something like four figures. So you, yeah. we, we're talking a thousand pounds at a time, or yeah, thousand pounds at a time. Whereas Germans will pay something in, in double figures. Yeah. Euros, okay. um, and Brits often complain about the way in which they're sort of discriminatorily treated in, in, in that sense. Um, now, we, we talked to one Turkish official who, who, who is in charge of foreigners' affairs at the local uh, police authority. Um, and he, he said that basically the charges are set on the basis of a kind of reciprocal relationship. Of course, there, there are no direct equivalents for what uh, Turkish people would have to pay in terms of residence permits. You know, there's always a mismatch in terms of what rights a residence permit gives you and so on. But approximate, they try to approximate. And then they, on the basis of what, what measure they're using, they say, well, this is the appropriate fee that we have to charge British people because when our people go to Britain, this is what they have to pay. Uh, so this, this will be, was something that upset a lot of British people because they felt <laughs> particularly sort of discriminated, you know, yeah, treated in a bad way. Um, okay, so um, next slide. Yeah, next slide. Okay, sorry, this is the statistics. Yes. Okay. Um, now th this this actually is very interesting. You know, I mean, the, the Turkish state, maybe for historical reasons and so on, has a bureaucratic system which is very interesting in so many ways. They collect figures on so many different things, and one of the things they collect figures on is how many foreigners are buying property yeah. in Turkey. I've tried to find similar figures in Britain. I can't find them anywhere. Right? We we don't care basically. Yeah, it's a very liberal system here yeah. uh, because there was there was a there was. Uh, some discussion a few months ago about joining a research project which was being led by Turkish researchers uh, funded by Tubitak, their, their official funding agency and they wanted uh, to get us involved in, you know, and one of the questions they wanted to answer was what's the regime for foreigners buying property in Britain? And I almost didn't know what to say. It's like, well, you know, just come and buy your property. Just contact a solicitor, you know, go to end the stage. And that's it. But here you can see uh, a certain level of um, care is, is taken in terms of calculating, you know, who is buying what kind of property, where, what nationality they come from, and so on. So you can get actually monthly updated figures. I mean, I'm sorry, we've only given you the September 2011 figures, but you, you can get sort of, you can probably get December 2012 figures yeah. now. Uh, on, t on the internet, and they're regularly updated. I, I'll just uh, say a little something. Um, because in Turkey, the foreigners, like how much property they can, you know, get in Turkey is limited. I think it's like six percent of the. They can't buy more than six percent of the, any province, like available yeah. real estate of that property. Six percent of that, you know, what's available in, in particular. Uh, uh, province and because of this, like uh, limits uh, set in the law, and they can't obtain more, but the numbers are still very high. Yeah. So th this also becomes a way of monitoring that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Exactly. So That's the reason why they are monitoring. Area, yeah. um, you know, well, how much property do foreigners have? Is on <coughs> important question. Yeah. Now, uh, this, this, these are overall figures for Turkey, right? And you can see, of course, the, the Brits and the Germans kind of already competing, right? For the uh, mm -hmm. and this is not the uh, to reserve a kind of sunbed on the on the on the beach, but it's a similar type of thing, right? Where you've got who can get the most properties in uh, in Turkey. Um, both, both nationalities figure quite significantly, but if we go down to the region of our research, look at that. Now this gives you some idea of how concentrated the Brits have become in that, in that particular region of Mullah, right? Uh, and that's a, so, so our first impression in 2007 when we went there wasn't wrong actually. It was like, wow, there are, the, you know, it's really Brits to the exclusion of so many other people, like England, uh, among the Europeans. 
who seem to have chosen this particular area to to kind of uh, live out their retirements and, and, and so on. So, so, so the figures actually bore that out and also kind of justified us in choosing uh, Mullah as a location for, for our field research. Um, I, I mean, if people are interested, we can discuss where one, one finds these, uh, these statistics and so on later on. Um, this is the yeah, beautiful the <laughs> air shot of, of Dalian, which was one of the um, urban centers in, in our region of research. And this is where we did most of our interviews, actually. Has anybody been to Dalian? No. It's really yeah, nice, actually, and you, you can see the, <laughs> <laughs> the meandering, <laughs> meandering the river and so on. I don't work for the Turkish Tourist Board, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, so that we can skip over that. Okay, marriage. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, now there is a very interesting, in this area, the, there are these uh, agents uh, which are appearing, you know, appearing. Um, they, are, they are trying to encourage people to come to Dalian, to get married there. Like marriage tourism mm. in a way, uh, and this couple apparently they choose Dalian as a location to get married, and I think this is Institute of Pleasure, which is one of the most uh, uh, protected apparently uh, beach in in Europe even. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, there's this kind of tourism, and there are a lot of people like you can see the websites only dedicated to this. They you know organize this dream wedding. Go there, and then it's a British couple, and there was a news on this newspaper. That's why I took the picture from that. Yeah, I guess the, the the tourism angle also gives us an explanation for how it is that Brits began to inhabit this this place as settlers in in the, in the first place, right? Um, many of the stories that we heard from the British interviews were like, I uh, I came to this place and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. Right, and next thing you know, I'm in an estate agent's office discussing, you know, various property options and so on. It was sometimes the decisions were made so instantaneously. Um, it's really amazing. Um, yeah. And one of the problems that we uh, we're probably going to talk about that later on. In terms of yeah. So I won't talk about it now, but that that can lead to all kinds of problems because people go very. Um, uh, sort of impulsively into the decision to buy properties and so on, which is something you wouldn't do here, right? Yeah. Uh, so you here you go to a solicitor and you know make sure everything's checked out and so on. In Turkey, one of the things is that you don't even need to go to a lawyer to buy a property. All you have to do is, uh, with the, the buyer and seller, just have to go to the local uh, authority and get the names changed on the property. That's all you have to do. So it's a very easy process which ends up leading some people in, 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 in a bit of trouble, which we'll talk about later on. Um, but certainly tourism is one of the main reasons why this becomes a place uh, you know, which is increasingly settled by, Turkey, uh, by uh, British people. Um, and very often, of course, it's very, it's, it becomes difficult to distinguish the tourists from the settled people. Of course, the settled people themselves are quite aware of, you know, who, who we are as di as distinguished from these itinerant people who are just coming for the, you know, two weeks in the summer and so on. Um, and actually, they begin to resent the tourist influx year over year um, because the tourists walk around in bikinis and, you know, topless, but just with yeah. swimming shorts and so on. And we we heard and story we, we heard remarks to the effect that well you wouldn't walk around like that in Brighton would you yeah, exactly. so why do you walk you know that that sort of <laughs> so yeah. so you have this you know sort of a level of embarrassment they feel because they feel that they're part of this community and the the the, the tourists are letting them down as mm -hmm. as as well as the, the the other parts of the local community um, yeah. so you you get the beginnings of a kind of what, maybe identification with the local culture. Yeah. 
And it's, it's very interesting actually, in the first settlers of the, you know, the foreign settlers in this region, they, they were Germans. And then Greece, they started to come. And Germans actually, they're extremely disturbed the fact that Brits are coming to the area and they think because you know Brits are so I don't know I don't know too loud or I don't know they're not so cultivated even some of them are I don't know they were talking about they are old people actually and they're talking about Second World War and then the anger you know some weird stuff and I was like when I first heard it's like what are you still there? Well, actually, it was a Dutch couple. We were interviewed this one Dutch couple who partic were particularly emphasizing this element. It's like, well, you know, what, what do you think is the we, we asked them quite innocent. What do you think is the reason why you know the Germans sort of don't like to be in the same be, be yeah. buy buy properties in the same place that the Brits yeah. do? What's going on? They were like, you know, they, they fought a war together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, okay, fine, fair enough. Um, but it's quite interesting actually. The German presence has since, as we found out, moved further along the coastline. Another so area. Originally, that that area was very. In fact, yeah. it was first discovered by German troops. Yeah. Uh, but subsequently, they've kind they of. There are still out. some Germans. Yeah, they're moving out. Yeah. Um, I was going to say another very funny thing where. It was quite funny actually, their reaction. Oh yeah, uh, what happened, um, th there was a little bit dispute uh, between Germans and uh, the Brits and because the local government, they, they wanted to be nice and then what they do, sometimes they announce stuff, they say okay, you know, this afternoon the water will be uh, cut, I mean be aware and then this and that, like, you know, the local to give this, and because it's very small, it's like a village. Anyway, and then they, they thought, okay, since we have a lot of uh, Brits in this uh, village, you know, we have to do the announcement in English as well. And Germans, they were so pissed off, and they said, why don't you do it in German? <laughs> and then local authorities, sometimes we don't know what to do, like, <laughs> we are in between <laughs> of this big group. <laughs> it's not too bad, obviously, but you can see tension, especially when we are talking to them in private. They're like, oh, I can't believe they came, they destroyed, they're not really, um, how to say, um, trying to get in contact with local people, Brits, they're always like, you know, they have their little pubs and they come together, but they never try to, I don't know, be part of the biggest society or something like that. They blame each other, it's so funny actually, <laughs> to hear all these stories. <laughs> okay, yeah, I mean, this is now, uh, well, one could read this in many different ways, right? But yeah. one of the things you can say is that they, uh, you know, this is part and parcel of the kind of, you know, the cultural presence of, you know, it's, it's not just people coming by themselves, but they're with their cultural really baggage yeah. and their customs and so on. So Christmas becomes part of the local kind of yeah. uh, celebration landscape, yeah. if you like. Um, and the every year, apparently, this becomes some kind of like regular stuff. Every year they celebrate Christmas in this particular, very, you know, the famous beach and then apparently local authority tries to contribute and then the locals they go there's no tourists then you know these people they are the settlers of the area these are not tourists and uh, but the local people they are quite uh, they are participating in the celebrations and it's quite a uh, nice actually mm. yeah, yeah, yeah charitable um they do a little charitable activities the British settlers. I mean, because most of them they are retired, I think they have so much uh, time. But this is a particularly interesting one. This is about the Down syndrome children. And there are a lot of uh, British family with the kids, you know, who has the kids uh, with Down syndrome. And they try to 
uh, actually raise the awareness about Down syndrome and this and that. And you see this kind of, I mean, actually the laws in Turkey, again, are a bit restrictive. I mean, many people are to do some charitable activities. There are many, many restrictions because only Turks, they can do this kind of things, fundraising, this and that. They find a lot of uh, restrictions to this end, but still they try to do, you know, as much as possible. And I think it's, uh, they are doing some changes also, like, you know, they are contributing to life of, or, you know, improving the uh, life of the local community, I think. They are very interactive, it's, it's very interesting, nice, mm -hmm. what they are doing. You will see another, like, school project. Yes. Oh, yeah, these two lovely local, I mean, they are local now. Mm -hmm. Very local, <laughs> British, yeah. British couple, and they live in very remote parts of the, another village. Yeah. And most, you know, they only have Turkish neighbors. There's no, you know, British. They don't want to be surrounded by British people anyway. And and what they did, they 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 got in contact with the local school, and then they uh, painted the whole school. Like it's very wonderful, beautiful school now uh, with the kids. And they're 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 also they're try the state want to do. Uh, uh, this how is it called dam, new dam, oh, hydroelectric new dam project, yeah. project, and they were very actively involving this, you know, stopping that project. They are really like, uh, you know, to even trying to make some political statement, and then they're, to, you know, constantly acting with this local people. And apparently, he was telling that, you know, he put himself like, you know, his body before the bulldozer, and then tried to stop. I mean, there are a lot of funny stories actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, this is one thing you do find among the sector of the, the British settled, settled people, you find uh, quite a strong awareness of environmental issues and yeah. so on. So they kind of bring almost a different flavor to the, the local kind yeah. of resistances yeah, that yeah, you get exactly. to such projects as dams and, and, and so on. Uh, but in particular, this couple, they're, they're very, very interested in nature, na natural, uh, Life, natural yeah, environment protection. and so on. Um, and they, they also, they're really nice, they took us around to see some of the, yeah, some of the sites, and the natural sites and stuff in, in that area. And they've been um, there for 15 years actually. Mm -hmm. really. yeah. Yeah. So next, yeah, okay. Oh, this is that's what's interesting one. We heard actually uh, a story about an um, old lady who died and then the, I think either she didn't have relatives or she, relatives, I mean the people didn't know who the relatives are back in the UK. And, and they just thought, oh, we, we can't leave this lady like this, like, and then there's no church around or somebody. And what they did, they buried her according to Islamic rules, rituals. And then the family, I think, somehow found out about this and they were okay. They said, okay, thank you very much. At least you know you buried her. It's, you know, they was quite, uh, they, they appreciated it. And apparently the same things happened this year as well, and it's a picture from that. And he's 70 years, 76 years old uh, engineer who was living in Dalian, and uh, he died. But before he died, he said, okay, you know, bury me according to Muslim uh, tradition, doesn't matter, you know. And then the daughter was quite like, I mean, I'm okay. She was, you know, quite easy with the fact that. And then he was buried in the, all these foreigners, they are buried in the Muslim uh, graveyard and um, but when we tried when we talked to local people we were asking them okay what do would you 
I mean, what, what, what do you think if these people one day ask for a separate graveyard or if they want to open up, I don't know, have their own church or something like that? I think a lot of people were quite easy with the idea. I don't know, maybe the demand hasn't been, you know, <laughs> put forward yet, but I think they were saying, okay, we are, for us it's okay, like, if, you know, Christian is buried next to our house or something like that. They, mm. they didn't have any problems with that. On, on some of these issues, like uh, ritual issues, and you know, particularly when, when we're talking about religious differences, the, the, the local people seem to be extremely, uh, I don't know what's the wrong word, pluralistic, or they, they were very much, you know, when it's a question of uh, uh, faith or belief, mm. uh, or ritual traditions and so on, um, they should always be respected. They used to make yeah. a point of saying, you know, going to the extent of saying that, so they were very sort of almost emotional about, yeah. about that issue. Um, but having said that, and knowing that there's a substantial presence of British people and, and other nationalities from the EU living, living in these areas, um, it, the local authorities still haven't made uh, serious plans to make sure that there are you know, like distinct Christian uh, burial areas and so on. So you, I, I think this will definitely be an issue for the future. Um, but there, there, there is a company now in, uh, I think, Dalaman or in, you know, the funeral company, and they're trying, you know, you know they want to serve the needs of people. We oh. uh, heard, but we didn't talk to them actually because they were in another part of Mumbai. Uh, uh, but soon, perhaps, this kind of things. They, they may happen. I mean, one of the things this kind of underlines is, is the fact that. All of this settlement has really occurred, but they, it's never been planned. Yeah. So the, lo the local authorities actually, we, we, we realized that there was a lot of stasis in terms of planning and you know, thinking about what the future developments could be and so on. Um, so you see a lot of low-level tensions in terms of you know, where, where new housing sites should be situated, um, you know, uh, the kinds of amenities that should be provided, you know, what about car parks. Um, there was also a question of what would happen to the local market. You know, because the increasing number of tourist coaches were coming and needed parking space and so on. So there's a, there's a lot of accidental development which has never really been thought about properly. Um, and, and also the, the presence yeah. of Brits and the Europeans is affecting house prices in the region yeah. and people getting a little bit uneasy about this fact yeah. because they give like a lot of money to very little, I don't know, land and then the local people, they know they don't want to sell their property to you know, uh, locals anymore. And uh, we talked to one of the teachers and then he said, I said, I have a son, but I don't have, you know, I can't buy a house to myself. You know, it's, it's really serious because, you know, the money, because they, you know, they can, somebody can sell their property to Brits with the uh, better money, for the better money. Um, yeah, that's that's quite. Uh, quite similar to what you used to hear about Spain, Spain a few years Italy. ago before the before the crisis and so on. Um, but sorry, just can I just round off the, the point about planning? I mean, one of the things that also shows us is that this settlement is very much occurring under the radar, right? In terms of public policy, so so the central uh, government authorities in Turkey or the local authorities in, in these various areas um, seem to be managing as best, best, best as they can, but they're not planning for it. And perhaps this also um, partly, can be partly explained because the foreigners don't have a vote. Right? So in a way they can be ignored from, from the perspective of public planning 
policies and, and so on as well. And you don't, you know, pe the, the the elected officials don't really feel obliged to make any necessary concessions to 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 that pro pro that that section of the local population, which of course they are now. They, they are part of the local population. Um, so, oh, <laughs> mind you, having said that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, these people, most of them, they have very. I mean, most of them they don't speak Turkish, and they find it very difficult to speak. And actually, this is a very important barrier for them to change their residential status to citizenship, because in Turkey, if you don't speak Turkish, you can't obtain a you know, citizenship. And although these people they've been living in this land, I mean, area for like let's say 10, 15 years, and still they don't have a citizenship. Still, they have to pay this like thousand something pounds every year, and some of them find very difficult to actually afford it because the the, you know, the living uh, t living in Turkey is not that cheap anymore. As I told you, you know, economy is you know, uh, doing well, and, and there are a lot of people and the Brits even. Um, yeah, this is one of the problems they are facing, and local authority, Tamshtan, the authorities, Tamshtan, they are trying to open these free courses for these people, but most of them, like 98% of them, they can't speak Turkish. Even they can't, you know, communicate in a very, maybe just like, okay, give me one kilo of, I don't know, tomato, you know, they can say, but that's it. It's a little bit um, yeah. sad. I mean, you know, of course, this goes beyond citizenship issues and so on. It also affects the way in which Brits can socialize within yeah, yeah. the local community. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it tends to be the case that they, the, the, the Turkish people that they interact with, or the Kurdish people, or whoever, uh, tend to be the ones who also speak English. Or married uh, so, to so that's how they, couples. Uh, yeah, and, and, yeah if, if they're mixed couples and so on. Um, so that, that's, that's, it kind of limits how. Should we they say use the word inter integrated? Integrate, they yeah, feel within yeah. the within the local society. Apparently, they go to certain restaurants only. They go to certain pubs, or they they always see each other. Like they don't go through. They don't interact with the yeah local people that much. They they have two separate parallel lives, let's say. Uh, but there are some exceptions, like you know the the one who is living in the uh, village and they speak very good Turkish and. There are, there are quite there a lot of exceptions, actually, uh, and and they, they, with the exceptional quote unquote people, you often find that this 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 you know sentiment that oh you know I I, I don't want to be hang, I don't want to hang out with the other Brits because yeah. you know what they're like kind of thing you know because they're very clannish and they stick together and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. So you've got in a way more or less in fact more or less every interviewee that we talk to wanted to assert his or her sense of individuality at the same time, <laughs> that I'm different, you know, I'm not like those others who, Brits, yeah. you know, so it's actually, it became quite hard for us to just find, well, who are these clannish people that, that you're, yeah. you're referring to, you know, so, so maybe everybody's being an individual at the same time, and then that's, that's, that's what characterized their clannishness, yeah. I don't know, you know, so, so it's, it's something that we haven't really cracked yet. Um, ah, yeah, Captain June. Yeah, Captain June, she came to, I mean, she's the first settler of that area. She's the first first. She's 90-something years old lady. She came in 19, she came first in 1970s or something like that with her boat. And then she, I think 1980s onwards, she's been living there. And she created this charitable organization for protecting caritas. Turtles. Turtles. 
um, and recently she got this award from the Queen. And then what they did, they, you know, even the local authority, all this like, you know, the, the, I don't know, local authority people, they came and they had this big ceremony for her receiving this royal, mm. I don't know, whatever, award. And then even at the end, I think they, um, planted a tree on the name of a queen. <laughs> we have a tree in, a, in that little village uh, naming uh, Queen Mary. Uh, not Queen Mary, sorry. Uh, queen Elizabeth. Mm. <coughs> yeah. But she's, she's very low. low she, locally, she's one of the famous British people, yeah. you know, because of her environmental activities. But again, she, she kind of exemplifies uh, the, the kind of, you know, the environmental list camp among mm -hmm. the, the, the local Brits. <coughs> um, so she's, she's really at the vanguard. Mm -hmm. And uh, is very well recognized, particularly because of her work on the turtles and so on. And, and actually, it's largely through her efforts that the uh, local university in Mullah and the central government authorities are now taking the issue of the protection of that particular species yeah. of turtle more seriously, because they are, they are quite endangered. And they, have, they actually do face a lot of dangers when they do try to nest on the, be on the local beaches. Apparently, so. they come from Atlantic to and then go through the Mediterranean, yeah. and then they lay their eggs in that particular very amazing yeah. creatures actually. Aha! Yeah. British food. British food. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think more need not be said yeah. about that. Yeah. Of, of course, this, this is, you, you know, you'll see this, uh, this is in Dalian, right? Yes. Uh, but you'll see uh, much, much starker examples of this further, further down the coastline in places like Fethiye and so on, which are really the tourist destinations, right? Dalian is a relatively minor tourist destination, uh, but has already become influenced by the kind of British eating British. patterns and so on. Yeah. So you see a lo local people actually catering for, for, for the taste of... of uh, and actually, one of the things we found is that many people were working within this sector, so catering to the, the local tour British tourists and, and the British settlers as well, uh, have themselves been travelers, sojourners, workers in, in different European countries, right? So the Turks who've, you know, at one time spent time in, in Europe and then learned a lot about the customs and the eating habits and so on of uh, various European groups uh, have come back and started, uh, set up in a set of business within this sector of the, the economy. And the interesting thing is that, like, we you know, Thai food or Indian food, whatever, we don't learn this food from, I mean, through the, like, our link with the Asia. We learn them through the Europeans. This is the interesting part from my point of view. You know, it's that Brits who teaches us this food. Um, That's globalization. Yeah. Brits come with that, I think. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, they are pushing. Uh, the England flag. Yeah, okay, for right. Uh, ah, this is this That's is really interesting. interesting. Yeah. Um, there, as I told you, there are a few um, uh, mixed couples living in Dalian now, and then uh, you know young uh, British couples like you know mother and father if they are British. And what's happening? These are you know kids in the local schools. They go to local schools and uh, and. What they say now, the local community, they get the, like, this, this, these kids become the bridge between their families and the local families, basically. They speak very, very good Turkish and then their English is not that perfect anymore. And, uh, and they're the one who is a translator between, you know, family and the local people. And like, what's happening here, like, you know, immigration, immigrant families. They use their kids for translation, and then same happened for British 
uh, families. Yeah, uh, of course in, in Dalian, uh, the majority of the people we talked to, and I think the majority of the British people are of course over, let's say, the age of 50. Yeah, mm -hmm. Many of them over the age of 60, but, uh, but you do get the presence of these you know, small families also, like a small group of families where you have kids and so on. But um, elsewhere along the co coastline, I mean, I some, some, was it Aydin? Aydin, some people said you should have gone to Aydin. No, uh, uh, there's one, actually, uh, Karen, uh, yeah, yeah, place like Didim and so on, where Karen O'Reilly has, has done her work. Um, you find, actually, that Very some good. of the schools have substantial numbers yeah. of uh, either mixed kids or, or British kids in, in, the, uh, in the local schools. So, our area maybe is not representative, but I don't know which of the areas actually would be representative, but you, you will find this increasingly uh, in, in this region, in, in, in Turkey, I think. Okay, yeah, uh, we talked about the ease of buying property, but one of the problems that it leads to is that people get defrauded, right? So if you're going in very naively and think, you know, I want my place in the sun and, you know, I'm ready to make a down payment and I'm going to get the money transferred quite soon, uh, one of the things that happens is that, uh, you know, part of the local wisdom that we heard was that, you know, people were saying, well, would you buy property from a waiter in England? Uh, which, which is, I, there's an element of truth to, you know, it kind of demonstrates the way in which some people uh, got caught into the property buying trap, which is that they did buy property. You know, I know somebody who is selling some property, they were maybe uh, led to a particular house or a villa or something and said, oh, look, it's really nice. You know, if you pay me today, I'll give you a discount, etc., etc. And uh, next thing you know, the money's gone and the guy's yeah. gone as well. Uh, with the uh, with the pound sterling or whatever it is, so so and, and and you hear a few of these stories, and it doesn't necessarily seem to have diminished because you always got new people who are mm. waiting to be Name. conned, right? <laughs> the, the new travellers who don't know the local scene, they don't know that people can be conned, they don't, maybe don't research the websites very very um, very thoroughly and so on, so they don't hear about the stories that other people have have, uh, have experienced and so on, and, and uh, they get into they get into a mess. So many people, I mean, it's really unfortunate, but also particularly because some people have lost their life savings. You know, they're retiree people who, who want that place in the sun. They want to live out their retirement in a nice place. And next thing you know is that they've lost their, their money. So, and of course, what we found also at, at the same time is that the estate agents have band together, right? Uh, many of these guys have band together and tried to develop some uh, rules of best practice, yeah, or some standards of best practice, because they know that their, their reputation is also being affected increasingly, because these stories do spread. And, um, uh, and so, they, so they're trying to work out good standards uh, among themselves to, to make sure that people have at least a number of safeguards before they enter, enter into property transactions. Um, but because of, still, because of the, the minimal legal formalities you need for transferring properties, there's always a risk of this kind of thing happening. Mm -hmm. uh, it, is, it, it, is it a time, time question? Ah, yeah. Yeah, as you said, like, questions, yeah, soon, okay. Uh, there's a, I mean, there's a super diversity because of the uh, existence of uh, listening breeds, but there's also ethnic tension. Turkey is like traditionally, I mean, um, Minorities, let's say, uh, you can see this ethnic, ethnic tension because of the economical reasons. Now, these local people they are trying to they are sharing the market with the, the immigrants from internal immigrants like Kurds, and the, there are some ethnic tensions. And this happened this summer. We heard some stories back in 2010, and this happened this summer. And they attacked the Kurdish guys' uh, uh, premises, and then uh, it was really bad. I mean, it's 
so yeah, it's just, just the mentioning. Yeah. Tensions between who and who, between Kurds, Kurds and, and Turks. Turks, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, this story maybe is, is relevant to our uh, presentation because uh, one of the Kurdish, the, one of the brothers who, who uh, set of brothers who, who own this restaurant uh, is married to an English lady, right? uh, who at, at the time we interviewed them was pregnant with, mm -hmm. with a child. And that, that was a couple of years ago. But um, this has happened since we interviewed them. And, and when we talked to them, they were already talking about the kinds of ethnic tensions that are going on. There'd already been one. Uh, attack against their uh, restaurant or bar, and uh, this seems to have kind yeah. of again spilled over. Because I mean, the the, the 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 tensions between sort of Kurds and others, of course, are constantly in the media and so on. And this is they can easily spark off into a much bigger conflagration, as you as you see in this uh, this picture. So so that's always. I mean, in this kind of area, of course, Brits will will also be exposed to this. Right? So I think again, you know, if we're talking about Oh, we want to have a nice place in the sun, and it's it's actually you know you're going into a place where it's got its own history and yeah. dynamics and so on. So, but what's so interesting? Yeah. A few years back, there was a demonstration uh, which was organized by Brits and Kurds in the region, and they were both asking local authorities to allow them to speak in their own languages. But the <laughs> Turkish newspapers they were so pissed off with the Brits involving with the terrorists, let's say, because like they were also saying, well, we want like linguistic rights, we want local authorities to serve us in English as well. Actually, most of the local, local authorities, they are trying to do this, but the main issue comes to Kurdish business. is another story. <laughs> let's go back. <laughs> yeah, okay, maybe, maybe we'll leave it for, rather than concluding, uh, yeah. you can just have a look at that, but uh, maybe if there are questions, because yeah. I think we've gone over all the time. Yeah.